Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Me Anything. I just wanted to start out by saying thank you to everyone who's been giving me such great feedback about these episodes. I'm really grateful for the chance to speak with you and share some of my ideas and to partner them with the ideas that come from my guests during the interview episodes. Real quick, if you'd like to ask me a question for these Ask Me Anything episodes, you can join my men's group, The Council. You can find out more about that by going to renofmen.com slash council. Members of the group get access to a lot of special benefits, including the ability to submit questions for these episodes. So again, go to renofmen.com slash council and sign up there and you can submit questions for Ask Me Anything. Also, before we jump into this week's question, for those of you who are in Texas, coming up on this Friday, August 25th in Dallas, I'm doing a Ren of Men public meetup. We're going to start the evening at 5.30 p.m. at the Rustic on Howell Street, and then we'll be going nearby to Casa de Monte Cristo cigars afterwards, probably sometime around 8, 8.30-ish. So again, that's Friday, August 25th in Dallas, Texas. First up at 5.30 p.m. at the Rustic. We'll enjoy some barbecue and some beers and perhaps some live music. And then from there, we'll go to Casa de Monte Cristo for cigars not too far away. I look forward to seeing you there. So let's jump into this week's question. This week's question is, do you think that gender confusion lies at the heart of all our societal woes? If so, what is it about gender that makes it so powerful that this type of error slash confusion could derail an entire society in a few short decades? So I've spoken with the man who asked me this question to clarify what he means. And my interpretation of what he's asking is, what is it about gender that's so powerful that all the forces of darkness, let's say, have been leveraged on that one particular point and caused so much damage? What is it that's so powerful about gender that makes that possible when no other subject really can have that much power over us? What is it that creates that confusion, that intensity, that insanity, that rebellion, that resistance in a way that no other subject can? And to answer that question, I'd actually like to start with a passage from the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy or the Ransom Trilogy from the book Paralandra, which I'm pretty certain is probably my favorite fiction book of all time, if not my favorite book of all time. There are many reasons why I love this book. I don't want to spoil it for you, except to say that the last third of the book is absolutely magnificent. Listeners have probably heard me say that when I was finishing the book last summer, summer 2022, I stayed up until four or five o'clock in the morning when I was finishing Paralandra because I just could not put it down. And I was actually quite brokenhearted when I finished. And you might have heard me say, speaking to Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist, that I left my heart on Paralandra. So I'd like to read you a passage from that book right now, which comes a little bit towards the end. I'm going to cut the passage short so I don't provide any spoilers, but this is one of the reasons I love the book so much. So from the end of Paralandra, here's the quote. Everyone must sometimes have wondered why in nearly all tongues, certain inanimate objects are masculine and others feminine. What is masculine about a mountain or feminine about certain trees? Ransom has cured me of believing that this is a purely morphological phenomenon, depending on the form of the word. Still less is gender an imaginative extension of sex. Our ancestors did not make mountains masculine because they projected male characteristics into them. The real process is the reverse. Gender is a reality, and a more fundamental reality than sex. Sex is, in fact, merely the adaptation to organic life of a fundamental polarity which divides all created beings. Female sex is simply one of the things that have feminine gender. There are many others. 
and masculine and feminine meet us on planes of reality where male and female would be simply meaningless. Masculine is not attenuated male, nor feminine attenuated female. On the contrary, the male and female of organic creatures are rather faint and blurred reflections of masculine and feminine. Their reproductive functions, their differences in strength and size, partly exhibit, but partly also confuse and misrepresent the real polarity. So when I sat down to record this episode, I knew I had to pull that up. I don't think I've ever found a more beautiful description of the reality of gender as something that transcends our material plane. In fact, it's something that informs our material plane. And so what is it about this issue that really makes people crazy? I think one of the issues is that it's one of those hard boundaries of reality that people who hate God run up against. One of the ways to understand what's happening in our civilization is that people are being forced to acknowledge the hard reality that we live in the world that God made. You can think of it a little bit like squeezing. Reality, the conviction of sin, squeezes people, and it drives them more and more insane because their choice is to either rebel or submit, even to God. And so what happens as reality begins squeezing on people and they choose to rebel and rebel and rebel and rebel, they stack the deck against themselves in terms of submission. In a sense, they make their own repentance more and more impossible. They double down and double down and double down. Gender is one of those hard realities, as we see in the passage, that's baked into the physical world. And as people who are rebelling against God, via rebelling against the world that God made, gender is one of those things that must be rebelled against. Also, if you've adapted the feminist theology that women are cosmic victims, one of the things that women are cosmically victimized by is their sex or their gender. Their very gender holds them back from doing all the things that men do. And since God is a father, and men are the reflection of God the Father, women want to be like men. That was the temptation of the serpent in the garden. Eve heard the serpent say, and ye shall be like God, knowing good and evil. What was being tempted in there was Eve's vanity. Now, Paul later says that Eve was deceived and Adam wasn't. So Eve was deceived by the promise of being able to be like God. Now, the question is, could Eve have ever been truly like God? Probably not. She may have even known that, but she wanted something that God had. And since God reveals himself as father, and men are also fathers, women don't want, in all cases, what God has. They want what men have. And what's holding them back from having what men have is their own bodies, their own gender, their own sex. So they have to rebel against that as well. And if you look at the curse in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be to control your husband and he will rule over you. Now, there's lots of ways to translate your desire will be for your husband, but the language that's used is the same as what's used to describe sin getting mastery over Cain later in Genesis. The idea is something is going to try and take over you, but you have to resist it. That same language is used to describe Eve and her attempts to take over her husband's position of control. So there's something that's baked into women in particular that makes them susceptible to wanting what God has and then wanting what men have. And of course, their gender and their bodies are an ever-present, always-on reality that they can't. And so that, I think, is where you get the idea that women are cosmic victims. They walk around feeling, wanting, 
needing to control everything from a position of vanity and their body reminds it that they can't. And so they experience, if they're very susceptible to this, they experience their bodies as a prison. And when they experience their bodies as a prison, their gender as a prison, they want to break out of the prison. They're furious about being there. And so the reminder that there are things about reality that are non-negotiable drives them crazy, which is true for anyone being morally convicted of sin. The same is true of men. When you have men that mock God, and there are plenty of them, and then disaster befalls them, what happens? Most of the time, they double down on mocking God, and they make themselves look worse and worse until God does what he did to Pharaoh, which is to harden his heart, to give him over to a reprobate mind, so that these men can then destroy themselves. It's the same process. So that, I think, is one reason why gender has such a hold over our society. It plays on women's rebellious nature, which is in some sense pre-fall, but then was exacerbated by the fall. It's a reminder that nothing has really changed. So it activates this outrage that unsaved women feel, that rebellious women feel, because they don't have anywhere to nail their rebellious nature to, which is why saved women often become such faithful wives and mothers. They recognize that they are in pain trying to control their husbands, trying to control the world, and Christ offers them relief from that impulse. That's why you may pick up that I handle this discussion a little differently between men and women than anyone else out there, because I regard women as being in pain over these issues and Christ offering deliverance from that pain. It just requires the bold and brave action to submit, which is naturally a word that women fear. But for women that can cross over that boundary, that can cross past that fear, that can find faith in God, and that can find a man to have faith in and to submit to, I think it's the most joyous release. And you see that in my second edition of the digital conference series. The women speaking there are so at peace. Not that it's easy, but they've finally gotten past their own impulse to rebel. Now, why else is it powerful? It's also powerful because Adam's weakness was Eve. The serpent didn't come for Adam. The serpent didn't tempt Adam. The serpent didn't even deceive Adam. The serpent came at Adam through Eve. And so if you want to take down civilization, if Satan wants to take down civilization, he just runs the same play that he ran back in the garden. Nothing has really changed. It's just gotten worse. But from our perspective as humans, we have a way out. And us taking that way out involves sacrificing our pride, which is a hard thing for many people to do. So why does this have such power? Because it's our chief weakness. One might even say that these weaknesses were baked into us from the beginning. Why did God make Eve in such a way that she was able to be deceived in the first place? Who knows? Why did God make Adam in such a way that he was willing to be passive in that moment for whatever his reasons were? Who knows? But I think this gets back to our original design. And that actually reminds me of another quote I read today in The Case for Christian Nationalism by the author Stephen Wolfe. The second chapter of the book begins, quote, The Adamic human race perverts the cosmos. The Christian human race renews it. And that quote is by Albert Wolters. And so what's different about the garden is that back in the garden, our sin was able to pervert the cosmos. But now with the availability of Christ, we can renew it. And that's also the story of what happens in the C.S. Lewis Ransom trilogy. Starting from out of the silent planet into Paralandra and that hideous strength, you see an exploration of the notion of gender, 
how powerful it is on the cosmic level. And then in that hideous strength, you see how it gets mixed up on a human and earthly level and what it takes to fix it. So again, why does this subject have such power over us? It's a giant part of the universe. It's a giant part of us. And we take it for granted. We are men born into male bodies or women born into female bodies. And we don't think of our experience of maleness or femaleness as having anything to do with the cosmos at large. In fact, one could even say this is probably a byproduct of the atheistic, scientific, materialistic viewpoint that we have. Why does Matt Walsh even need to make a documentary called What is a Woman? I haven't seen it. I've heard very good things about it, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't talk about gender as being baked into the cosmos because people don't even think about things that way. A woman is an adult human female. I think that's probably the conclusion that Matt Walsh gets to at the end of that movie. A woman is an adult human female. But you can see from that passage of Paralandra, a woman is so much more. But we're not allowed to think about things in those terms. We're not allowed to think about God's revealed truth and God's revealed law. Matt Walsh is a Catholic. He's not going to reflect biblical truth into the public dialogue. That's not something that I expect to come from Daily Wire. So we as men and women are deprived of this connection of what the significance of our gender means. Maybe we get a flash of how important it is in the process of falling in love and having sex and having children. Maybe that's part of the specialness of those moments is for a minute we're able to get past these limitations that have been imposed on us from the outside by this atheist materialistic viewpoint and get a sense of something cosmic about what it means to be a man or a woman. But in general, men aren't walking around like to be male in itself is a reflection of something divine, and neither are women. I'm just a man, and she's just a woman, and it's just how it is. But if we could think in that cosmic perspective, maybe we would treat our bodies and we would treat ourselves with the honor and gratitude that they deserve and become more masculine men and become more feminine women if we understood that we were connected even up to that level. So another reason why this subject is so controversial, I think, is because we've been deprived of that knowledge and we've been so substantially weakened in our roles as men and women. I think I heard someone say once that women are turning into men and men are remaining as boys. And so I really liked that breakdown because I don't see, in most cases, men becoming super effeminate. Of course, you have the whole homosexuality thing, but I don't think that's a large percentage of men. I think something within men that haven't been subject to abuse or wherever the different places are that homosexuality comes from, I don't think you're going to see that being appealing to men. I think you're going to see boys remaining in an infantilized state. I think pornography and video games are a big part of that. I think also declining testosterone is a big part of that. Terms like toxic masculinity, the shaming weapons in our dialogue are another big part of that. Disincentivizing males from becoming men in the first place cutting off all access to things that are difficult or hard or stressful, making convenience and comfort easy and nice and fun, and then generally shaming them when anyone steps out of line. So all of these things conspire to keep men boy-like. Meanwhile, we've taken women and we're masculinizing them. We're giving them male careers, male interests, including casual sex. We're putting them into combat. This is probably going to upset my listeners who are into UFC, But I regard women's UFC as absolutely barbaric and a sign of the true degradation of our society. This notion that two women should get into a cage match and beat each other bloody, I think is horrific. And I think our libertarian streak would say, well, they're two consenting adults. 
I don't think it's necessarily becoming for women to become warriors and start beating each other up. And I think one of the reasons that we take all this for granted is, again, we don't know just how vital these things are that we've inherited. Men aren't taught that being masculine is to connect to something fundamental and true about the universe, so they discard it. And similarly, women aren't taught that being feminine is to connect to something good and true about the universe, so they regard it as a prison. And all of these things together conspire against us really stepping into who we are as men and women, really connecting with this cosmic vision. And of course, I could throw in public school and the way it sexualizes children early. And of course, I could throw into this how weak many pastors and churches are, how absolutely terrified they are of dealing with gender issues. I could also throw into this how many churches are run by a whisper network of women. And so pastors can't speak out on these issues for fear of making the women angry because they themselves are not masculine men that can tame that force. Every single channel has been cut off from raising boys into men and transforming masculinized women into feminized women. That's all been super cut off. And I think we feel our isolation from that. It grates on us on some level. It grated on me as soon as I became aware of it. It took me 20 years to do something significant about it, trying basically everything I could. But like those words in the matrix, it's like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. And so I think this ask me anything question is really fundamentally about the nature of gender itself. It's not why does this have so much power over society? Because the answer is it's such a powerful thing. That's why it has so much power over society. Why do nuclear reactors power the world? Because nuclear reactors are powerful. So the question is more largely, I think, how do we actually connect with the truth about gender? Of course, I can recommend a lot of different books that take different stabs at it. Alison Armstrong's work, Wild at Heart, Iron John, Disciplines of a Godly Man, Masculine Christianity. I spend basically all my time reading books like this. But what we're really looking for is a sense of significance to it. Who can speak poetically about notions of gender that can re-inspire our appreciation for who we both are as men and women and come back into right reconciliation? And again, that's why I recommend the C.S. Lewis Ransom trilogy so highly. That is just one aspect, albeit a major aspect of that trilogy. And it's so healing to see the way this great man of the faith really pictured gender as well and how he wove it as such a primary theme throughout this entire series of books. It really starts to take shape in the second and third books. That's when the theme becomes very strong, particularly in the third book as you start to see a more boyish man in Mark Studdock who doesn't know what things to want or how to want them. His affections are disordered. And you have the beginnings of a feminist, masculinized woman in Jane, and you see them working that out through the course of the story. So it becomes a bit more overt there, but it's such a big part of that entire trilogy. And that's one of the reasons I recommend it so much, in addition to being a fantastic trilogy of books. So again, why does the subject of gender have such a hold over our society? Why is Satan able to create such chaos with it? Because it's the primary weak point of who we are as beings. That's how I regard it. Because it's the primary weak point for us as human beings, as fallen sinful human beings that don't have a good idea of how we were really made. And we've been deprived of that knowledge for hundreds of years, both in the public square and in schools and in church. I often say that Christian men get three doses of something that secular men get two of. So secular men are discipled by their culture, including the public schools and their fathers. 
Christian men are discipled by culture, their fathers, and their pastors, so they get three doses of effeminacy where secular men only get two of them. And really, the final step is pastors. You see some of this with the Andrew Tate phenomenon. You see Christian men falling for Andrew Tate and maybe trying to break away from their own fathers. And as they begin exploring masculinity, they find their pastors simply won't talk about it. They find themselves in this position where they start walking the secular masculinity path rather than the Christian one because there isn't a Christian one, not reliably within any one church. And naturally, that just leaves the back door wide open for the enemy. You have pastors that won't disciple to bait masculine men, and you have pastors that won't disciple to make feminine women. Because if they were really to switch on the light and see what the gender dynamics were like in their church, everything would blow apart. This is one of the things that make it very easy for me to get blackpilled sometimes, to look at how bad things are between the genders or the sexes. But still, I'm able to look at all of this and say that God made it and made it very good and simply trust that if I walk this path, it will lead me truly, especially if I take on board all the finest teachings of the Christian faith about how to be a good, noble, righteous, and virtuous man, to take it all on board. It's profoundly healing. So I think the last thing I'll say about why this subject produces so much strife in our society is that the powers that be know how medicinal it is. As I say as part of my mentorship program, the world says that masculinity is toxic. Everything the world says is backwards. That means masculinity is medicine. And in the same way that the mainstream media shouted against ivermectin as being the worst and most horrible thing in the universe, and anyone who even breathes the word is a heretic, the powers that be know that masculinity in particular, and also femininity, are so medicinal to our souls. And so naturally, in addition to all of the reasons I outlined previously, including rebellion, including disconnection, etc., the mainstream media knows that if we go walking down the path of godly masculinity, we will discover something that will make us very difficult to control. So the insanity is just meant to put off timid travelers. And I'm grateful to you, listener, because if you're listening to my podcast, you are almost definitely not a timid traveler. So thank you for listening to this episode of Ask Me Anything. Again, if you want to ask me anything, you can join my men's group, The Council, at renofmen.com slash council and submit questions like this for the podcast. Thanks so much and God bless you for listening. And I look forward to seeing you for the next episode of Ask Me Anything. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.